Take your Bibles and open up to Acts 16. We will make our way over to Revelation in a minute. As we've been going through Revelation 4 and 5, this theme of worship has really been on my mind. The idea of acknowledging God for His great worth and His great power and His great glory. And it's interesting how I find it everywhere I'm reading. I'm reading the Bible and I find another example of worship. and It's everywhere. You read your Bible uh, for any period of time and you're going to see the people of God worship God as they recognize His glory. And Acts chapter 16 gives us another one of these examples. And I find it interesting where worship happens. It, it, it does seem as though in Revelation 4 and 5, it would be simple to worship God in heaven, huh? I mean, that's the place where you see God in all of his glory with no defilement of the flesh and of these bodies of death we carry around. You see the glory of God unveiled. But worship happens everywhere, and it's, it happens often. And Acts 16 is a beautiful picture of this. To give you a little bit of a background on this passage, remember, uh, this is the beginning of the church in Philippi, and Paul and Silas and the missionaries are traveling over to this area in modern-day Greece, and they come upon this area, and they begin to proclaim the gospel. Some people get saved down by a river, a lady named Lydia, and he continues to proclaim the gospel. As he does, there's this lady that has this demon that has possessed her that is constantly harassing them and saying something. And all of a sudden, after, after a while, Paul gets agitated and says, that's it, and he casts out the demon. That's Acts 16. Well, what happens is following. This is, what we're gonna, this is where we're going to start. We'll start in verse 19. The masters of this lady that was also a fortune teller because of the demon get very angry. Let's start in verse 19. But when her masters saw their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. The crowd rose up to gather against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded them to be order, or to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, before we go on, how many of you would guess worship is to follow? Nobody would guess that, right? A nice dose of complaining would be in order, right? A nice dose of why me, God? What have I done? This ain't fair. My life's miserable. These people are beating me and I'm a Roman. I could have got out of this. This isn't fair. 
verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Worship in the most amazing places. Not just in heaven. But in light of circumstances that are absolutely horrific. When you're struck with situations and circumstances in your life and trials, do you respond in this kind of worship? Do you acknowledge the great worth of God? Do you sing these hymns that we sing on Sunday in your heart as you go through these trials? I was struck by this. Then look at another one that just kind of stuck stuck out my mind. Job. Old Testament. Before the Psalms. Job 1. Worship everywhere and in the strangest locations. The least expected locations. Most of you know the story of Job probably. Satan is allowed to test Job. Here we go. It begins to fall on him. In verse 13 of chapter 1. Now on the day when his sons and his daughters, that is Job's, were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While I was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God has fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants. And consume them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with them with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Stop there. Is this the spot for worship? Okay, everybody. Stand up. Worship. Verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all of his this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. The strangest places for worship. Worship everywhere. Acknowledging the worth of God despite our circumstances. No matter what's happening, God is worshipped. Then we come to Revelation chapter 5, and I have to confess I've started peeking ahead to Revelation 6. Revelation 6, turn there real quickly. We 
We've been thinking about this concept of the redemption of the world, the restoration of things, to making things right, where God establishes his rules and his role and his reign on this earth, and how all the angels have been worshiping God. And in light of that, we come across these passages in Revelation 6 because all of this worship is in preface to the events to come. The people in Revelation 5 that are worshiping know very well what's going to happen in Revelation 6. As we will see, the very ones that are in their worship scene will then turn around and be agents of carrying out, carrying out the wrath of the Lamb. Now think about this for a second. Wrath? Worship. Worship before wrath. Another one of those paradoxes. Would you not agree? How many of us stand up and think, wrath, wrath, wrath. Let's worship God. That might not be your first thought. Look at Revelation 6, 7. Does this make you stand in awe of God? When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by a wild beasts of the earth. Look at Revelation 12 or 6:12. I looked when he broke the sixth seal. The seals are the things that are on the on the book that we saw before. Remember the scroll? These are the seals that he's worthy to open that we've talked about in Revelation 5. Here's the sixth one. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casting its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up, and every, did you see that? Every, every mountain and island were moved. Out of their places. Whoever thinks that this has happened already can't, doesn't understand the revelation of God, doesn't understand the book of Revelation. Every mountain and island were moved out of its place. That's never happened. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave. And free men hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Again, we're going to conclude today the worship scene in Revelation 5. But just remember this. That this all comes as an introduction to this amazing wrath. This is God unveiled on the earth. All of his wrath is being poured out on this earth. All in preparation for what? The restoration to the way it's supposed to be here. 
where Christ is honored and Christ is glorified and God is honored all the time with worship and praise the way it's supposed to be, not just by men that are being beaten, not just by Job, but by all the creation worshiping God. And we've got this amazing little paradox. I, I, I want you to be thinking on this over the next couple of weeks. I, I, I'm, con, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that our understanding of God is very small. It's very small. We often take even the God of the Bible in our minds and we limit him to certain aspects and, of his character. And his glory. We say, oh, well, I can see him like this. And I can see him like that. But I don't see him as this great, avenging, wrathful God. We don't see him that way, do we? But this is what heaven sees of God. They see him as all just and all holy and perfect and glorious. And deserving all worship. We've seen that, haven't we? In Revelation 5. And we come to the passage we're going to focus on today. The final stanza of worship. We saw the last two weeks the highest of high worshiping God in 5, 8 to 10. And then the great multitude of angels worshiping God in 5, 11 and 12. Now let's look at these last two verses. And I challenge you today. Begin to think. Is my view of God small or big? Is God holy and just? Is he fresh in our minds? For that's what's going to create this kind of worship. Notice verse 13. And every, of, five, of chapter 5. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this glorious passage. We pray that as we can look at this briefly, that you'll help us to understand afresh what worship is all about. And ultimately... Help us to understand who you are and what you're all about. That we will respond appropriately with worship. We pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. All right, so today we conclude this last stanza. Again, a stanza would be like a verse in a song. You know, be thou my vision. I think there were four verses or stanzas. This is what's happening in Revelation 5. We have stanzas or verses, and they're crescendoing. And you have different groups. You have the highest of high, the 24 and 4. They started the first verse. And then after that, it included the uh, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of angels. And that would be the second verse of the song. And now we come to all the created things and their verse of the song. And it's found there in 13. Who is the object of this final stanza? It's interesting how this all kind of culminates Revelation 4 and 5. Because notice the object is not just the lamb now. It, it adds on the one in, first, in chapter 4 that we talked about in the first worship scene. Remember? 
Now the Father and the Son are both in view and all of creation is doing what they were created to do. Worship the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb. Who's the object of the final stanza of worship? It's both the Father and the Son. And the way this is worded is it it points to the idea that if we worship one, we're doing what? We're worshiping both. We're worshiping the other. Do you understand? If I worship God, the Father, I'm worshiping the Son. It's all focused on God. There is only one God, but there are how many persons to that God? Three persons. One God, three persons. We worship any of those persons. We're worshiping the one God. And here we have that. It's brought to the highlight. There is no way that Jesus is a lesser God. He wouldn't get this kind of worship. God would not share his worship with anyone else, right? God does not do that. Why would God not share it? Is it because he's egotistical? No, it's because he deserves it and he's worthy of it. He's worthy of all of our worship. He's perfect. He's holy. He's just. He's honorable. He's glorious. He deserves all of our worship, right? And to do anything other than to worship him would be what? Idolatry. And foolishness. Why would you worship something less than the best? Obviously, God deserves worship, right? And here we see that God is the object of this final stanza of worship. The lamb and the son. It's interesting. I thought on this, and and I was um, kind of in a paradox here, just a second. or I, I, I struggled with it a little bit. Why didn't this, Why wasn't the spirit mentioned? Why not just go ahead, throw the other person in there? I mean, you know, he's doing it. Well, I would suggest to you that he is there, obviously, because God is God and he's revealed as three persons. But remember back in verse 6. I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elder a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Again, we've already saw that the Spirit is there. But what is the, who, uh, what is the Spirit all about? What is His activity all about? His activity is all about being the worship leader or the worship director. The Spirit is all about, and you can, it's as if you see the Spirit, but in His great way, He stays on the background. This is the way He is. He's all about exalting the Savior. He's all about exalting the Lamb. And you know what's really, the more I thought on this, the more I saw the Spirit. And you say, where? The stanzas. Who's worshiping? Who worships God? Those who are what? Empowered by the Spirit and moved by the Spirit. The Spirit is orchestrating this amazing song. (laughs) This worship scene is all about worship. He's behind the scenes. In an amazing way. Very much the way that Jesus humbled himself in his role when he was on earth. Not taking the forefront, but always saying, whatever the Father says, I will do. Uh, This is so important to us. Uh, We don't think this way, do we? We think a role behind the scenes is what? Lesser. Not equal. That's a good word for all the ladies. We've, we were talking recently about this whole role situation about women and men and whether, you know, what's the roles that we have. Ladies and gentlemen, 
You don't see the Spirit demanding, Hey, put me on the stage! Show me off! What's this? But he's equal. He's one of the persons of the Godhead. But the Spirit is all about doing what? Exalting the Father and the Son. And producing this amazing worship scene. Humility behind the scene. It's beautiful, isn't it? Do you see it? It's like this whole beautiful song. We're going to play at the end the Hallelujah Chorus. I just think, you know the Spirit was somehow working through these men, this man, Handel, to write this. But here we see the Word of God being done in this beautiful scene. It's amazing. The Spirit is there. He's the, he's the great choir director as it is. He's the conductor. So we see the object is God of this final stanza, and it's a grand doxology. Who are the worshipers included in this stanza? Notice in verse 13. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them, I heard saying. Again, this is interesting. This is really, and some of y'all you might say, I might lean a little different than you on this one. I, I, I've grappled with this one all week long, and I'm still kind of trying to figure it out, and I'm, I'm not completely convinced, but I think so. I'm going to tell you what I, how I lean on this has to do with one key word there, saying. See that word, saying? That's a pertinent word. But let, me, let me try to describe this, and just to give you an idea, what is happening? I, I wish I could do it. I wish we could do it, but we can't. And, and as great as it is to see our church growing, this is wonderful. But I would love to be able to take and just have like four or five of you sing a song and then turn around and have 20 or 30 of you sing a song and then turn around and have a hundred of us sing a song. And you can see the idea that's coming along here. What's happening? Started with 28, the 4 and the 24, right? They sing their first song. Then you've got the next verse. And the next verse includes what? Myriads of myriads of angels. So all these angels, millions and millions and millions and millions of angels worshiping. Can you imagine? Now, that you know the 24 and the 4 had loud voices. Okay, we know this from what it said before. So it was pretty loud, but then add millions of angels and everybody singing the same thing. Now, what do you have? Billions. Billions and billions of all of creation worshiping God. <laughs> we can't even comprehend it, can we? We can't even think it. We can't, I mean, we can't even get our minds around it. The best we could do last week for, with the myriads of myriads is think of the greatest football stadium filled to the capacity, yelling at the top of their voices, and it still just is not, it's like, that would be like a squeak compared to this. Nothing. This is millions of angels, holy angels, all in unison glorifying God. Can you imagine what it would be like? And then add to it, you've got all of the created things, billions and billions. Now, again, I think this is a crescendo. Who are these created things? It's no longer the representatives of creation. It is creation. Creation is screaming. Now, I don't think, or I, I think John has in mind all intelligent or intellectual able, worthy beings. And I know you say, well, what about things, Mike? And what about on the sea? And what about this? Ladies and gentlemen, I, I have gone back and forth. 
I don't think he's talking about the moon speaking here. Okay? And I don't think he's talking about the rock speaking. And I don't think he's even talking about the animal speaking. As much as I love our new little doggy, that's really Lauren's doggy, uh, and she is nice, I have yet to hear her speak. And I have yet to hear her say something like this. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory. So, while I would agree that these animals and these created things, as Psalm 19 says, reveal the glory of God, and they literally, they don't speak, though. We know that they are a reflection of God's glory because he made them, right? You look at an animal, you look at flowers, you look at anything, and it just screams God, doesn't it? Because he made them. I would, I would venture, I would stop short of saying that John has and, and God has in mind here that the animals and the bears all started saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Okay, I think it's literally all intellectual or intelligence beings, all that are able to recognize the glory of God and know God for who he is in his glory, then begin to speak. So you can argue with me later, but I think this is what's in view. Ultimately, Philippians 10, 11 may be in view. And that is, in Philippians 10 and 11, it says, or Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says, So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think it does see all created intellectual, intelligent beings that are able to acknowledge God. That would include demons. That would include all those who have died, right? Under the earth may be a reference to anybody that's died. Everybody that has cognitive understanding of God speaks now. Everybody. And it's anticipatory. That is, this is looking forward to the end when Christ sets up his kingdom, and everything is established correctly. It's important, again, to note that this worship is anticipatory, as I said. It anticipates the completion of Revelation 6 through 19. God is able to make everybody worship him, right? Either through love and by seeing or by force, as every knee will bow no matter what. It will be automatic. God will be exalted, and here we have a beautiful picture of it. So, why do they proclaim worship, or, or what do they proclaim in their worship? Notice what these beings do. This would be everybody. To him who sits on the throne, notice 13, and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. What do they say? They use four terms here. Now, it's different from before. If you look back in verse 12, you see it says, Worthy is the Lamb was, that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Here, they're tied together, but they don't have articles, and it's almost like a summary. On this one, it would be as if there was almost could be a pause in between. It would be like this. Be blessing and honor and glory and dominion. There's an article before each one emphasizing each one of these attributes. That God deserves all blessing 
Instead of a summary idea of verse 12, now he's saying, look, be God, be blessing. May God be continuously praised. That's literally what that means. It's where we get this idea, the English word eulogy. He's worthy of praise. He's, may God be constantly, continuously praised. So all of creation at the same time is saying, be God, may God be continuously praised all the time. May God be continuously praised. And then it says, may God be continuously exalted or honored. Again, the idea here is one of reverential fear. To be exalted as superior. God is above all. He deserves to be honored. And everybody and every created thing stops and says what? God. You. You alone. You alone are superior and deserve all honor and exaltation. It's hard for us to even comprehend this because we share exaltation with so many things. I am... I am convinced we are absolutely great worshipers. All of us are excellent worshipers. Everybody in this room is an excellent worshiper. I've seen most of you worship before. Unfortunately, I don't think we always worship the right object. (laughs) We are constantly worshiping, but we are often worshiping things that don't deserve all glory and honor and blessing and power. (laughs) We acknowledge and exalt things that are not deserving of that. Along these lines, though, at one point, coming up in the future, all creation will say, God deserves all honor. God deserves all exaltation. You alone are worthy. You alone are superior. God is the one, and everybody will do it. God deserves to be made weighty or highly exalted as the glory The word emphasizes here. He deserves to be glorified, to be revealed in all of his glory, for us to see and bask in his glory, for God to show everything to us. And then finally, it says, to God be dominion forever and ever. God deserves all ruling authority over everyone and everything, and everything at this point acknowledges it. It says, God, you deserve to be ruler. Over everything. The authority. So, let me ask you a question. We see it. This is what the creation is going to do. Is this how we think? Do we think of God as the one who is ruling everything? How often do we exalt or how often do we submit ourselves to this God? How often is our obedience a display of his authority in our life? Or who is our world about? Here, at this point, all of creation says it's about God. It's what they were created to do, and the creation does it. We can acknowledge, folks, God's worth with our lips. But let me ask you a question. Do our our lives reflect that he is the one that deserves dominion forever and ever? How do we reflect this? How do we reflect that God deserves dominion over everything? How do we reflect this in our lives? The answer is a simple one. Obedience. Obedience. Real simple. 
as we understand that God is the authority over all, what do we do? We obey him. Obedience is our way of worshiping God now. And are we? I've had some great discussions about um, what, what do I do whether or not, you know, if I, if I know, a couple of y'all have talked to me about this, if I know something is I'm supposed to do, should I do it even if I don't feel like I should do it? I mean, I know that this is right, and I don't really feel like it should do it, but I know I should do it. So should I just go ahead and do it, even if my heart's not right? The answer with that, the short answer would be yes. But, but, that should speak to your heart. And it should cause you to recognize that you don't get this verse. You don't get who God is. At that moment, your heart is doing what? It's saying, nope, you're not Lord. You don't deserve dominion over me. In fact, I'll do this because I'm a pretty good person and I don't want anybody to say me and I don't want to get any discipline. But you don't deserve dominion over me. Ladies and gentlemen, I would say that again, and I'm going to say it again, if that's a problem, then your view of God is way too small. Our understanding of God should cause us to do things because of who he is. Again, stop for just a second and realize that you're breathing because of who? Him. You're even able to do anything because of who? Him. He created you, and he is sustaining you. For us not to do it with the heart of gratitude and thankfulness and praise and obedience to God is to say what? Our hearts need what? Change. So whereas we can do the action, we need repentance, don't we? If we're not doing it, we need a heart change. Our view of God is what? Small. Creation gets it at this point. Prayerfully, all of us will be in heaven there, hopefully. And we will all be exalting him too in our glorified bodies. Obedience is our way, folks, to do it. Now, notice, I love this in verse 14, it ends. Who, with the, who affirms the worship? <laughs> it makes me think of that song that John sang at the... Uh, he's saying, John MacArthur saying, Amen. I, I kept thinking, hmm, I wonder if it sounded like this. No, I doubt it. It was a lot po- more powerful. The four living creatures, look. Look at them. The four living creatures kept saying, Amen. <laughs> now, why? Well, because the word Amen, in a sense, means I agree. I affirm. I say, yes, this is truth. I agree with what all of creation is saying. To him be glory and blessing and honor and dominion forever and ever. And all the four living creatures do what? Continuously say, amen. I agree. I agree. I agree. Over and over and over. (laughs) I was watching a video this week of a pastor and he kept going, a preacher, he kept saying, do I hear an amen? Amen. 
Will you, will you affirm an amen? Will you give me an amen? This is an appropriate time for an amen. What was he saying? Do you agree? Do you agree? Will you agree? God didn't have to ask for the amen here. <laughs> it was automatic. I agree. God deserves it. God deserves all worship. I agree he deserves all honor. I agree he deserves all blessing and praise. And I'm not going to ask you <laughs> for an amen. Hopefully in your heart you're going, I agree. Hopefully you're saying in your heart, I agree. God deserves that. And if you don't say that, if you're not saying that, if you're not affirming that he deserves all glory and honor and power and dominion over you, then there's a problem. There's a big problem. And I would suggest you haven't met the lamb that was slain. If you truly know the lamb that was slain, you will say all glory, all honor, all power deserves you, you alone, not me. If you know him, you will say amen. deserves it I agree and then the elders concluded and they fell down and worshipped him once again humility humility they fall down it's, it's almost getting it's almost getting repetitive now huh it's like they see him fall down <laughs> they see him fall down <laughs> they say something they fall down whoa are we getting a, a, an understanding here of these elders? What are they like? They are humble in awe of God, servants of God. Completely submissive. <laughs> you know, I, I once, I, I was thinking about worship uh, with a football game, and I remember when I, when I was at UF, Emmett Smith was playing for the Gators. That, he was big, man. I'm telling you, he was an amazing football player. He'd run into a big pile of people and come out the other side. And I mean, it'd be, and he'd come out the other side. And the whole stadium at one point, I, I was lost as last year's Easter egg. That was bad. And well, it wasn't that long ago. But <laughs> needless to say, the whole stadium started doing this. You know, have y'all ever seen that? Where they. And it was, you know, like they're bowing to Emmett Smith. And I thought to myself, even then, I was thinking, is this right? Are we supposed to be worshiping a man? Um, praise the Lord, that must have been some conviction in my own conscience that said that I shouldn't be worshiping some man. I probably even engaged, unfortunately, though. I don't think we really get it, though. Even there. Most of the time, what people are doing in the football stadiums are, are saying, my team's winning. My team's got it. Yay, I win because I associate myself with him. It's really a victory for who? Me. The whole stadium goes, ah, yeah, my team wins. Yay. But that ain't the worship here. This is complete 
utter humility. It's them going, man, I'm nothing. It's like, I'll stay on the floor. You deserve all worship. Get me down here. I'm not worthy of anything. You're the one that's superior. That is what? Humility in worship is different than the world's worship, isn't it? This is interesting. This is something that you need to think on. I would suggest to you, genuine worship comes from a heart of humility. Just like genuine obedience comes from a heart of humility. Right? Why do you do what you do, ladies and gentlemen? It's been asked from this pulpit a thousand times. Is it in submission and humility to the God that made you and saved you through Christ? Or is it for the show? A day is coming, ladies and gentlemen, in our land, I'm fairly sure, that it won't be the hip thing to do to worship the Lamb. It won't be, oh, we're going to church today. That's good. The day is coming in our land where worship will literally be this. It will be, it will cost you something to worship the Lamb. It will mean, oh, it will be mean maybe some persecution. What do we see that's consistent with Job and consistent with Paul and Silas and consistent with these people? A full recognition of God, his glory, his greatness, and a full understanding that they don't deserve anything great. He said, naked I have come into this world, and naked I will leave. I am just a man. Genuine worship does what? It says, God is superior, and I'm not. Go try to sell that one to the world. (laughs) Can you see why it's grace that people get saved? Nobody's going to sign up for that, right? All about God, not about me. That's what worship is. Let's close with reading Psalm 146. Another great worship psalm. Remember in... Revelation 5, this is all an anticipatory look to Revelation 19. The idea of Christ establishing his kingdom and being worshipped as he deserves. So I thought it would be good for us to read a psalm to conclude. Y'all stand with me for Psalm 146. We'll read this and then I'm going to play the Hallelujah Chorus. Now, some of you might say, oh, that's an old song. Yes, it is an old song. But I challenge you to listen to the words of this song. It's amazing. Literally, this psalm starts with the word hallelujah. That's what praise the Lord means. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth, and that very day his thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, 
whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Hallelujah. Let's listen to this. Handle wrote.